Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Gospel of John, chapter 17. Brother Brian, apparently, there it goes, never mind. I thought maybe you couldn't do this because we were trying to do two devices, but now it finally came up for us. While you're turning John 17, I'll try to get this uh, up on the screen, and that way you can follow along with us this morning. There we go. John chapter 17, we've been studying through the gospel of John chapter 17 now, actually chapters 13 through 17, maybe 18 for quite some time. We've been in chapter 17 for, uh, I know what seems like an eternity probably to some of y'all, but as I've mentioned to you, this is just uh, such a passionate and such a deep uh, few chapters for, this is literally the last week of Christ's life that he's going to be able to be with his, uh, his disciples, and, and he has dropped the bombshell on them that he's going to leave, and their mind is just totally blown. Now, what do you mean, Lord, leave? You're, you're the Messiah. Uh, you're supposed to be sitting on the throne of, of David, and, and, and you're telling us you're going to leave, and not only that you're going to leave, but you're going to be murdered and put, uh, crucified and, and put into a grave. Lord, none of this fits into what our plans had in mind of what was going to happen. And so he began to teach them that another comforter was going to come. The Holy Spirit would come and he would fill that role that Jesus filled while he was here with them. And he went on to say that greater works than I have done, you will do. And that's to you and I today. That we are, listen, we are expected by our Heavenly Father to do greater works than Christ did. Not greater in, in, uh, in the event being more important than what Jesus did, but greater in that we are now scattered all across the world where Jesus was only located in that one area. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit and God's children being scattered everywhere throughout the world, we have that opportunity and that expectation by our Father to produce greater works. That begs a question, does it not? What question? Are we producing those works then? And that's something that we each have to decide for our own lives and then collectively as a church. So we've been looking at this, and, and what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen, I'm giving you all the tools, and I'm giving you all the information, and I'm teaching you all of these things so that you can do those greater works. We've talked about some of the marks of Christianity that, that Christ has given to these men, and, and now we come to a place where he says, Lord, I'm not just talking about these disciples that are here in my midst immediately, but I'm also praying for Faith Missionary Baptist Church and every guest that will be there on November the 4th, 2018. John chapter 17, beginning on our reading in verse uh, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me." When you come to the idea of unity, uh, there are so many things that pop in people's minds. And I think sometimes pastors and church members alike, we, we envision this idea of unity that's quite, quite honestly is not biblical. And to be honest with you, is really quite impossible. If you think, or if, I, if we ever make the mistake of thinking, well, Church unity means that we always agree on everything and we always think the exact same thing and we all have the same preferences and all this and that and the other, then you're expecting something to happen that's not ever going to happen. It's not going to happen. It just won't. Next Saturday will be the Battle of the Ravine. And it is possible that within this congregation or any congregation anywhere around here that there's going to be some people that's going to want to wear purple and, 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 and want the tigers to come out on top. But I'll promise you there's going to be some others that are wearing red that want the reddies to come out on top. Does that mean that the church is divided? No. It, it really doesn't. 
Brother Billy C., if you know him, his favorite meal is what? Catfish. Brother Chuck, what's your favorite meal as far as fish? His is going to be crappie. Some people want red carpet. Some want blue carpet. Some want green carpet. Some people love this sport. Some don't. Some love to go duck hunting. Others say, that's too cold for me. Some like to go deer hunting. Others do not. We are all different. And to have the idea that we are all going to come to the place where we all agree on every little thing, that doesn't, that doesn't, it's not real. This happens in my household pretty regularly on a Sunday. Matter of fact, I got in the truck to come to church this morning, shut the truck back off, walked back in the house and said, Dear, do I match? I get ready a lot of times on Sunday and, and, and I, it looks good to me. And I'll go out and she said, you're not really going to wear that, are you? Well, yeah, I was planning on it. That's why I got it on. <laughs> no, go back to your room and change. That don't, that don't go. We don't agree on everything. When the Bible is talking about that they may be one as he and the Father is one, he's not talking about that we would all vote the same way on every single thing and that we'd always, listen, some people want to start at 6, some want to start at 6.30. Some want to start at 9, some want to start at 9.30. We, we can differ on things. It doesn't mean that we're not unified. So I want us this morning to look at what it truly means to be unified. Uh, if you will, open your Bible to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 2. And in this verse, this one singular verse, we're going to see not a man's definition, but God's definition of what it means to be unified. And this is that unity that Jesus is praying that you and I might have. In Philippians 2.2, it says, Fulfill ye my joy. Let me just stop for just a minute. I appreciate all the love. I appreciate all the support. Last Sunday night was very moving for me. And, and, and to be here five years and, and, and you still love me and you still support and still put up with me and all, that means the world. But if you really want to make your pastor, whether that's me or any pastor, truly happy, be unified be unified it's exactly what Paul says Paul says listen church at Philippi you have the chance the opportunity to make my joy full to make my joy complete the idea of full here is so full that if you put any more in there it would just overflow and run everywhere fulfill ye my joy how are we going to do that that you be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So as we look at this, there's, there's a few little things that stand out as we consider unity being divine, uh, 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 defined. Number one, they were people of the same mind. People of the same mind. So, well, you just spent all this time telling us that it's not of the same mind and agreeing on everything and my favorite color and your favorite color and I like summer and somebody else likes winter and uh, Dee and I, we agree on that. Uh, you could have all the days of summer you want. I wouldn't care if we never had another summer day. Okay? I just don't like 90 plus degree weather. Matter of fact, you get much over 72 and that's about as far as I care to go. But you know, there's a lot of people that love summer. My father, I was on the phone with him last night, and he said, well, I done got out, and I don't mean this to be vulgar, but he done, I done got out my long handles, and I ain't taking them off, and I, I am looking for the Easter bunny. He'll start looking for the Easter bunny in November, and I'm not going outside until the Easter bunny hops again. He can't stand the winter. It doesn't mean that there's not a unity there, all right? That's not being of the same mind. What, what Jesus is wanting us to understand is this can't be an organizational thing. It can't be, well, you have to wear, uh, uh, you know, a certain colored shirt and, 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 and try to force everybody to look alike. You can get a lot of people to look alike, but they're not going to be of the same mind. What is Jesus talking about? Open your Bibles very quickly to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. People of the same mind doesn't mean that we all think the exact same thing. Doesn't mean that we all pull for the same team. Doesn't mean that we all like or dislike the same things. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, 
humbleness of mind, meekness, suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Paul says, listen, you can be of one mind. The key to it all is let the word of God dwell in you richly. Show me two children of God where the word of God is dwelling in them richly so that they do all the things that he said earlier. They put on the bowels of mercy. They put on kindness. They are humble. They're long-suffering. They forbear one another. Listen, that stuff doesn't happen unless we let the word of God dwell in us richly. It is the word of God that transforms us into that type of person. On your own and on my own, I don't want to forbear with nobody. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not interested in putting up with all of your faults on my own. You understand that on my own, I see your faults, but I don't have any. That's the way the flesh works, all right? And unless we're saved and we let the Word of God dwell in us richly, then that's the way we're going to operate our lives, okay? Unity is when we get of the same mind in how we interact with one another. We can disagree on, 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 on what size coffee, coffee maker to put in the fellowship hall or buy one or three of them. We can disagree on some of these things. But when the Word of God dwells richly in you and the Word of God dwells richly in me, then we offer or we conduct our lives by these things that Paul's talking about and we become unified. No longer now am I looking at you and judging you because you've done this or that and the other. No longer now am I considering that I am better than you and so uh, I have to step on you and, and constantly be putting you down so that I can elevate myself. No longer am I going to be envious or jealous because the preacher called your name more times than he called mine or because you got this and I didn't get that or, or whatever it may be. The Word of God dwelling in us richly puts all that stuff to rest. And we still disagree on who the best team for the Final Four is going to be. We can still disagree on, on, on this or that and the other, but we are unified. Be of the same mind. Unity defined, people of the same love. Now listen to me, I, I want you to get this. I, I think this is so important. When Paul's talking in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 about being of the same love, he's saying that we have to love one another equally. Now hang on and listen to me very closely, all right? I love each and every one of us equally if I'm living in unity. But now listen, that does not mean that I have the same emotional commitment to each and every one of you. You're looking at me like, huh? Loving everybody equally and yet emotionally drawn here or there more so than the other. And here's the reason. And Brother Jimmy, will get, he'll like this. I, it'll probably be on Facebook in, the, in, in a few hours. <laughs> Love that Paul's talking about, it's not based in emotion. This love that Paul's talking about is the love of will and choice. You see, people talk about, oh, well, we just love everybody in our church equally. 
And, 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 and if they say that and they're talking about, you know, that I have the same draw emotionally to everybody, they're liars. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but they're liars. There are people that we naturally are going to draw to, and there are other people that we may not necessarily draw to the same depth uh, that we do with these others, but that doesn't mean we don't love them equally because love that Paul's talking about, it's not that emotional. I have a connection here. We share common interest here that we may not share here. All right, but love of the will and choice is something completely different. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's impossible to think that I'm going to love every one of you to the exact same way when we're stuck in that idea of, of, of the worldly love, of that emotional thing. It's not going to happen. But when we understand that he's talking about that godly love, then that love is of a will and of a choice and it, has, it finds no merit in the one being loved. You're not loving now because there is an attraction to the person. You are loving because it's your character and nature as a child of God. If, you don't, if you're not following me, let me see if I can put it this way to you. The love of God, again, is that love of will and choice that doesn't find any merit and give that love because they've earned it or they've deserved it or there's an attraction there. God loved us when, according to the Word of God? While we were sinners. There was nothing about us that God would say, well, look at that old, look at that David Gardner. I just love that boy to death. He just, he's just such a good person and, and, and no. <laughs> Uh, Brother David is a good person, but Brother David uh, did not earn or merit the love of God based on his goodness. He received the love of God because it's God's will and God's choice. That's his character. I love them even when they are unlovable. Yes, sir. That's right. For if, for if, we had to merit or earn that love from God based on our own goodness. How many of us would have any love from God? Not the first one. None of you. N not me. But he gives that love because it's his character and it's nature. So if we're going to be unified, we've got to make that, 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 that love be ours as well. Listen, if you will, to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. But love be without dissimulation, or let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Paul begins in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be done without dissimulation. That's not a word I used yesterday. It's not a word I used any time last year that I know of unless I read this passage. Matter of fact, other than this passage, I don't know that I've ever used the word dissimulation. So I did what you might have to do. Well, what does that mean? But I didn't look it up in Webster's because this passage wasn't written by Webster's language. And this word dissimulation comes from the word hypocrites. Now, now we're getting something I understand. Hippocrates is the uh, Greek word from which we get hypocrite. To play the part, to act like something. What Paul is saying, and he said, what he did is he put that alpha privative in front of hypocrites, which nullifies it or means exactly the opposite. What he's saying is, let your love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't put on a play. Don't put on an act. Don't pretend to be something that you're really not. But let the love of God flow through you and it will be a real love. How many times have you known a church member that would just shake your hand, meanwhile plunging the knife in the back? That's not real love. It's not godly love. People of the same mind, people of the same love, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, i got to hurry, are people that define or live according to the definition of unity. People of one spirit. The Greek word here is literally one soul. 
People that have one soul. Again, I want you to understand, if you're talking about in this crowd this morning that we're all going to think the same thing, it's not going to happen. I got news for you. The baby boomers and Gen X don't think the same way about everything. The millennials think completely different. It's not that one's right, one's wrong, one's better, and one's worse. Paul saying of one spirit. What does this mean? One soul. We each have a passionate, common commitment to the same spiritual goals. Let me ask you, how passionate is your commitment to spiritual things? Again, I, I know I use probably way too many sports analogies, but those kids that are committed to football, what do they go through? When we get committed to a job, what are we willing to do for that job? We get committed to this or to that or to the other. And what I'm wondering from time to time as I study and as I look at my life and I look at the life of the people that God has given me the opportunity to bless, and, and one question just keeps coming to my mind, where is the commitment and that common commitment and that passion over spiritual goals? Spiritual things. I would submit to you that if faith and I and, and God's people had that common commitment, I, I would see a whole lot less of the back of pews that I'm looking at right now. I would see a whole lot more guests coming. You and I would see a whole lot more prospects coming. You and I would feel that baptistry a whole lot more often than we do. You and I would see God's kingdom growing and advancing and the family of faith is growing by service after service after service. What is lacking? I'm not making this up. Jesus said, greater works than I did, you will do. If we're not doing those greater works, then something is missing. That commitment. I called upon the younger ages years ago. Guys, step up. Guys, if y'all don't step up, we're going to be in trouble. You've got to come. To, you, listen, step up to the plate. And now I look and it's time to say, all right, some of you older ones, you've got to stay committed. You've got to get back in the game now. They're still looking to you for the leadership. They're still looking for you to go to work with them. It is them that is working and saying, hey, can we go to this house and do this? It is them that's saying, hey, can we take care of the, the flower bed? It is them that's coming for the 930 prayer meeting. I would say to you older ones, it's time for y'all to step up too now. They've taken the first step. And they're looking to you to shoulder with them. We can't be a divided church of younger uh, adults and older adults. We are one body made up of many members. And all the members work together for the accomplishment of a common goal. The same way this body works. You don't hear my body saying, well, I'm an eye. And all you are is a little bitty toe. You are totally unimportant. May not have all the same function that my eye does, and I may not use my little toe as much as I use my eye, but you can, you can count on this. I got a pocket knife in my pocket, and I ain't about to take that shoe off, that sock off, and cut off that little bitty toe. I'm not interested in that. It's part of the body, and it serves a function with the body. All right? This passionate of one spirit, a passionate common commitment to the things of Christ, people of one purpose, one purpose, when the above becomes true about us, then our purpose will become unified. It'll be something we are all involved in, and it's important to all of us. One purpose. Paul said, therefore, in Philippians 1, 2, we read verse 2, therefore, my beloved brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Later on, he told in, uh, I beseech you, Otis, and I beseech sympathy. What? That they may be of the same mind in the Lord. Only let your conversation be as that that becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, 
or else am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Our purpose is to, pr to promote and to, to pronounce the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that will work a whole lot better when there's more than just four or five that are doing it. When faith as a whole says, you know what? Our purpose is not to hunker down and wait on the Lord. Our purpose is not just to make sure we have enough money to keep all our bills paid and keep the doors open. Our purpose is much greater than, than, than doing this or that and the other. Our purpose is the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, there is no greater, there is no higher purpose than the kingdom of God. We become unified in that purpose. Not unified in building our own agendas, but unified in the glory of Jesus Christ. Christian unity. I'll hurry very quickly. Number one, Christian unity. Its root is in the truth. Go back to our text, and you'll notice that Paul, uh, that, that Jesus said, you know, I've been, I, I've been praying for these disciples that are here. And in verse 20, 21, he says, not only do I pray for these, Lord, but I pray for those who will come to believe on whose word? These disciples' word. You can go throughout the scriptures, and you're going to find this idea of the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' teaching, the apostles' gospel. We talked about just a few Wednesday nights ago how that it is that apostles' doctrine that, that, that is the, uh, one of the, uh, the evidences that what somebody is teaching you is true if it agrees with the apostles' doctrine. Now, understand, it's not the apostles' doctrine because they invented it. It is the apostles' doctrine because it is God's doctrine, it is God's gospel, it is God's message, and he came to the apostles and he said, Here, take this out into the world. And so it became theirs as far as they are now commissioned with it. Our unity cannot be at the expense of truth. This is not a unity for us to lock arm in arm with every other religious organization that there may be. People want to know from time to time why I don't get involved in some of the ecumenical things. I'm not locking arm. Listen, I'm all for unity. I'm all for fellowship, but not at the expense of truth. For if you have it at the expense of truth, you really don't have anything. Truth is of that much importance. So our, our unity is not at the expense of truth, but listen to me. It is truth that binds. It is the truth that tells us what that purpose is. It is the truth that guides our life. It is the truth that, that makes all of these other things, the forbearing one another, the forgiving one another, the preferring one another over ourselves. Tell me that's something that a lost person will do or a worldly Christian. Tell me that they're going to prefer everybody in this church over themselves. You know that's not true. You know that's not going to happen. Only when the word of God, the truth, all right? So Christian unity is not at the expense of truth, but yet its roots are in truth. Christian unity, its model is Christ and the Father. Go back to the text, John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus didn't say, well, he, he didn't say, well, I just pray they all be one. And move on. But he put some equal signs in there. Father, I pray that they would be one equally to the way that you and I are one. Me and you, you and me, I and the, uh, us and them. That's the model. That's the model. You see, Christ and the Father was the model of unity. And if you go back to chapter 17 and you look at the entire chapter, you're going to find in verses 1, 5, and 24, they were united in a common motive. And that motive was the glory of God. Jesus, what, Jesus said, whatever I have to do, Father, for you to get honor and glory, that's what I'll do. They were united in what they wanted to gain, the glory of God. God sent his son, why? For his glory. 
Jesus came and was obedient. Why? For, for the glory of his Father. You and I must be unified in that purpose of wanting to get glory for our Father. That's how Jesus and the Father was glorified, and that's how he tells us to be glorified. Not only is it uh, to be uh, unified in the common motive of uh, uh, the glory of God, but also united in the mission, verses 2 through 6. Chapter 17, verses 2 through 6. We have a common mission what you've sent me to do and what you will accomplish by that. In verse 8 and 14, they were united again in truth. As he talks about, I've given them your word. I didn't give them the words that I think are important. I didn't give my philosophies. I didn't give my ideologies. Of course, for Christ and the Father, they would have been the same anyway. And that's what Jesus is saying. You and I build those same ideologies. Listen, we can disagree about whether that was a pass interference or it wasn't a pass interference. We can disagree whether the ball broke the plane of the goal or not. That's unimportant stuff. But we are unified in the truth and in a purpose, a motive that God gets honor and glory, in a mission to reach the lost world. That's why we do what we did Friday. We may not ever see one of, those, one of those young people come to know Jesus Christ as a result of Friday's meal, but I'll still hold to this. If we are faithful to try to reach this community along the way, God's going to give us the rewards for it. We can't just hold up and do nothing and expect God to give us fruits. We may not see anything from that. We may not see anything from vacation Bible school. We may not see that anything from this or that and the other but we just keep faithfully unifying and serving him with a common goal, a common mission, common spirit, all of these things that we've been talking about, God will bless. United in truth, united in holiness, verse 11, 25, and 19. Jesus said, I sanctify myself as an example so that they will sanctify themselves set themselves apart, united in love. He's going to talk about verse 24. You see, the Father and the Son were united in all of these areas. And that's what Jesus is talking about for you and I. Jesus could really care less. He really could care less whether the Dallas Cowboys win this game or not. You might be passionate about it, but he could care less. But you know what he does care about? Lost souls. Lost souls. And the way you reach those lost souls with the truth. And what you do with those lost souls once you see them come to Christ. Christian unity is, has a root in the truth. Its model is Christ and the Father. Christian unity also then, as we think of its results... It results in authentication. Something becomes real. It's authenticated when you and I are in unity. Let me ask you this now. If Jesus says the way that something becomes authenticated is through your unity, then if we don't have unity, what's happening then? What's the result of not having unity? If something is authenticated because we are united, what if we become ununited? What happens? What's the result? Whatever it is no longer is authenticated. Well, boy, that's, your, that, that, that's a heavy load. And it begs the question, what, what is it that is authenticated by us being unified? Number one, the answer is Jesus. Look at the text. Jesus is praying that Faith Missionary Baptist Church would be united. He doesn't want, he's not looking for us all to wear the same color stuff and to all think the same thing about certain things that are unimportant. Pick your fields of battle. If it's not worth dying on, then it's not worth fighting over. It's not worth risking becoming ununified, or, uh, uh, disunited. 
Jesus said, if they are unified, Father, the world will know that you sent me. The first time I really grasped what Jesus was saying, and I'm sure I don't grasp it all yet, my heart broke and ached because of all the times of my life. And I'm just going to be very honest, where the rubber meets the road. In 53 years of attending Missionary Baptist churches, and some probably 10 different churches in that time, I have experienced churches to be disunified a whole lot more those days than they were unified. And then I, I just, I wept. In other words, for 53 years, we have given the world more reason to doubt who Jesus is than we've given the world to authenticate who he is. And that's a scary thought. Because you know what generally is in the way of our unification? Me. I want to be the big dog. I want to be the one that the church centers around. I want to be the one that, 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 that runs things. It's my church. And, and, and some of those statements and, and the jealousies and the, the strivings and the enviousness. The world's saying, is he really who y'all say he is? It's a scary, scary thought. Jesus said if we're unified, it authenticates him as the Son of God and that God sent him. He went on to say not only does it authenticate Jesus, but it authenticates the Father's love. The world right now is looking for examples of the Father's love. They don't know that's what they're looking for, but that's what they're looking for. And when they look at churches and they say, you know, faith down there, they got on an average, uh, used to be an average of 80, that's running about 60 now, it's an average 60 or so that are there, 65. But even in that number, there's a lot of differences in ways of thought. There's a lot of, uh, of, of, of strong, passionate feelings about this or that and the other. Whether that's political, whether that's in the arena of sports, whether it's in the arena of likes, dislikes, all that stuff. But when the world says, you know what? They have a relationship with God that affects their relationship with one another. And now we see an example of how much the Father loved the Son and how much the Father and the Son loved the children of God and now how much they love one another. Romans Chapter 12, 9 and 10, I read it already. Let love be without dissimulation. You say, but I can't love like that. You just don't understand, Brother Jeff. You don't understand how bad that person grates on my last nerve. You might be surprised how much Jeff understands. If we say, but I just can't love so-and-so that way, well, we probably better do some real deep soul-searching because Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is what? Shed abroad in our hearts. So if we are honest and say, well, I can't love that way, whoo, that's a, that, that, you know, that leads you down a road that says that the love of God's never been shed abroad in your heart, which means you're not his. We can love like this. We can be unified the way that Christ is saying. It becomes a matter of choice. It results in authentication, Jesus, the Father's love, and in closing, it strengthens and encourages the body. I may go too far with this when I look at this point, but I've kind of began to lay a little bit of groundwork and talk about it in a couple of sermons leading up to this. Everywhere you find the name Faith Missionary Baptist Church in print, at least in our stuff around here, what do you find closely attached to it? The family of faith. When I got here, I thought, man, that's the coolest. I, I love it, the idea of the family of faith. 
one of the first or second newsletters I, I had found uh, the acronym family, forgetting about me, I love you. But I'll be honest, this is just being honest. The family of faith, and yet we are such a private group. We don't want people in our lives. We're so private. We have prayers and concerns and burdens, but we don't share them because we're private. We're overtaken in sin, and, and, and we've, been, we've been backslidden for so long, but we won't confess it, and we won't share it with others and seek their encouragement and their prayers and their support. Why? Because we're so private. We don't come to the altars anymore because we're so private, and we don't want somebody else to think, well, what's going on in their life? Let me see, what did the preacher preach on? Because obviously that's what's going on there, you know. We become such a private people. And I would, I would, I would ask you to trust, or, or not trust, but to search the Scriptures. As I mentioned in the Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you don't share your burden, I can't bear it. And you've robbed me of the opportunity to fulfill the, love of Christ, the law of Christ in my life. If I don't share my burdens with you. See, a family can go to family members and say, listen, I realize there's a lot of dysfunctional family. I know that, and maybe that's part of the problem. Some, some of us have come from dysfunctional family. But when family is what family is supposed to be, I can go to my mother, I can go to my dad, I can go to my brother, and I say, listen, my heart's heavy. Listen, this is going on in my life. You know how I know that? I've done it. I've called my brother many times. Barely able to talk for the tears. He's done that for me. Just sharing. When he was pastoring there at that mission in Atlanta and he'd been there for so many years and they've not seen any additions and they've tried this and they've worked here and they've done that and his heart would break. And we just pray. We just pray. As dad's health began to fail, when we could get together, we pray. Paul talks about that we are to confess our faults one to another. Paul says if any of you are sick, do what? Call your church members and let them lay hands that they might pray. For the prayer of a righteous man does what? Y'all, if we're going to be family, if we're going to have the motto, the family of faith, let's be family. Let's be a family. Let's be able to come up here and say, you know what? I have this going on. My heart is hurt. My children are this. My, my, my wife this or my, my, my father's. His health is failing. Uh, there's this going on in my life. And it doesn't have to be bad things. Family can share good things too, can't they? You get a raise at work. You call everybody. Hey, guess what happened at work today? That's what family does. Throughout the Bible... Confess your faults one to another. When's the last time? When is the last time we've seen children of God confess their faults to one another? And we're, we act like, well, I don't want them knowing my business. I don't want them to know I had that sin. Well, guess what? They probably got it too. <laughs> if not that sin, I promise you they got another one. You know what, you know what the value is of confessing your faults one to another? I heard the testimony of a recovering alcoholic one time. He said, every time I go out to eat, it is a struggle. Because now so many of the restaurants serve alcohol, and man, I really struggle. And he said, I finally came forward one Sunday morning. He told the preacher what was going on. He said, can I address the church? And the preacher said, yeah, but boy, he sure was worried. What is this guy going to say now? And he just looked at his family and he said, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been an alcoholic all my life. Last however many months I've been, been sober. But every time I go to work and the guys are wanting to get together and do this or that and the other, every time I go to a restaurant, every time my friends invite me over to watch fight night or a football game or, or whatever it is, 
there's alcohol there, and y'all, it is a strong temptation for me. And he said, all I'm asking is, is would y'all pray for me in this weakness? Tears just <laughs> rolling off of his cheeks. You're my friends. You're my family. I, I just need your prayers. Would you pray for me? Time he got through, I don't know if there was many dry eyes in the house. And the preacher was about ready to say, well, let's, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. And one of the members in the back said, no, 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 wait, 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 preacher. This man's asked us to pray for him. And he asked everybody that would to come up there and just kneel beside him and just pray that God would help him one day at a time. That don't happen anymore because we're afraid of people's judgment. We need to fear God's judgment a whole lot more than we do each other's. Strengthening and encouraging to the body. That's what's accomplished when we become unified. My burdens become your burdens. My blessings become your blessings. My joys, your joys. But in reality, so much of our life is spent trying to be private and keep everybody walled out of it. I would challenge you to look at scriptures and see if that's the way Christ has asked us to live. I want to close with just a couple of illustrations just to kind of reemphasize the importance of unity. I keep forgetting I've got two devices here. During World War II, the enemy conducted experiments to find the most effective type of punishment for eliciting information from prisoners. They found that solitary confinement was the most effective. After a few days of solitary confinement, most men would tell all. That is why we need fellowship. Without it, we too become easy prey for temptation and abandonment of our values. You've probably seen the illustration. Take a phone book. Tear one page of that phone book. Nothing to it, is it? Take that phone book as a whole and try to rip it. And I'll promise you there's not a one of us in here big strong enough to do it. What happens? It's not a single page anymore. It is several pages that have been bound together. There's strength. There's encouragement there. One more and we'll close. This one was pretty impressive to me. And convicting. After many months of waiting, a Russian girl finally obtained a visa to visit her relatives in Canada for three months. She arrived in Canada and was shown around the various attractions, amusements, and the entertainments. The young Russian seemed immensely impressed by the amount of things that people were wrapped up with. As the three months drew to a close and everyone expected her to defect and seek political asylum in Canada, she surprised them all by expressing a desire to return to her family in Russia and the small group of believers to which they belonged. She went on and explained that in North America, everyone seems wrapped up in things and doesn't have time for people. In Russia, they don't have as many material possessions and consequently, they need each other. She wanted to return to a place where people relied on each other, where fellowship was important. Do you rely on one another? Or are we so private? I, my life is off hands and off limits to you. Thursday, I represented you at the association meeting in El Dorado. We took a break for lunch. And so we all went to a restaurant to eat. And I, I got there, and, and I didn't have anybody in my group, and so I said, I just need a table for one. And they carried me to this table for two, and I sat there. And I watched as about two tables up and on the other side of the aisle, I watched this young man and his father. And I knew it was his father because of the few words that he said. He said, Dad, this or that and the other. The restaurant was busy because of the amount of ABA pastors that was there, and so it took quite a while to get the food. 
During that time, I didn't count them. But there was very little communication between the father and son. But there was a lot of this. And for nearly an hour, with almost no communication, just going to town. These are great tools. But they are robbing us of fellowship. When families can't sit and talk anymore. Because we're here. We're losing. We're losing a very important part of life. Just talking. I don't I hope that anything I've said today is not offensive. And I know there'll be some that'll disagree. I accept that. But Jesus said, I pray, Father, for those that will listen to the apostles' doctrine and gospel and will believe later. That's you and I. He said, I pray, Father, that. Martha May and Jeff Chrysler would be so unified. They'd have the same purpose, the same goal, the same motives. Because, Father, it is through their unification that the world's going to know that you and I are the real deal. And it is through their unification that they will, the, world, the world will know what our love is. Father, we come to you today, Lord, I, I pray that everything I've asked for days now and weeks, literally, about this particular sermon. I prayed it this morning at our 9.30 prayer time. I've asked you over and over again, Father, that I would have said nothing that you didn't want say, but I would say everything that you would want said, but it would be done so in a heart of love, and I pray that it has been, Father. I pray that now it is received with the intention that it was delivered. And Father, if there's areas that we need to work on, Father, that we wouldn't just explain this away, but we would say, Lord, I need to be more unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Faith so the world will see and know. Father, in this invitation time, may we respond to the leadership of your Spirit in whatever fashion that may be. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.